This is WCNY's The Capitol Press Room, and we're going to discuss the medical marijuana marketplace in New York, as well as pepper in some other cannabis questions we have with State Senator Jeremy Cooney, a Rochester area Democrat who chairs his chamber's subcommittee on cannabis. Welcome back to the show, Senator. Thanks for having me. So ever since medical marijuana was okayed in New York about a decade ago, there have been accessibility issues, whether because of the limited number of conditions and least initially eligible for a medical marijuana subscription, and then uh, a lack of medical marijuana prescribers in this space, and then there's the cost of the drug and what people could actually buy. As we fast forward now to 2024, how accessible do you think medical marijuana is? Well, not enough. Uh, And I want our listeners to remember that the medical marijuana program sometimes gets lost in the larger conversation around the adult use recreational market. The medical marijuana program is still putting patients at the center of the conversation. They are medically prescribed to have some sort of treatment option related to cannabis. And oftentimes, uh, these individuals get grouped in with cannabis consumers at large, but this is a very different experience that patients have. It's a different type of setting. It's a pharmaceutical setting. It's a different type of product that they may be purchasing, uh, whether we're talking about something like a suppository versus a smokable product. Um, And Quite frankly, it could involve a different age group. Uh, We know that the adult use recreational program is 21 and plus, uh, but this could involve children on the medical side based on the treatment uh, prescribed by the healthcare provider. So this program has got a lot of attention up front, uh, but has in recent years, as all the excitement with the rollout of the adult use market, has kind of been left behind. And I want to make sure that we're modernizing it so that we can maintain a medical program separate and apart from the adult use recreational program like other states have done across the country. Well, as part of the legislation that paved the way for that recreational rollout, the state did expand who could prescribe medical marijuana. It expanded the list of uh, eligible conditions and also expanded so eventually you could get flour uh, as a, a medical option. And with all of that, though, at least as of 2023, the number of medical marijuana patients in New York was still decreasing from the high in 2019-2020 of about 150,000 patients. Has that trend of decreasing uh, patients continued into 2024? And if so, why? Yes, because of a number of barriers and hurdles that we have. The most notable, of course, is the financial barrier to purchasing these products. So if you are prescribed by your health care provider uh, medicinal marijuana for pain management, let's say, um, you're not necessarily going to be able to get insurance reimbursement for that prescription because of the Schedule One status of the drug and some of the challenges on the federal side. But on top of that, New York is different than other states because we still have a state excise tax, 7% tax, that goes on to every sale. So we're kind of doubling up that that financial burden. You're not able to use insurance resources uh, to pay for your prescription, and you have to pay a tax on top of that, which is different than every other type of prescribed medication. You know, the, the, the glib phase, right, Dave, is, is that you don't tax Tylenol. Uh, and the same concept is, is here for, for medicinal marijuana is why are we taxing someone for a health care regimen that has been medically prescribed by a physician in New York State? The other barrier, which is, uh, I think, reflective of New York's unique role uh, being situated, let's say, close to New Jersey, is, is that for patients who uh, receive treatment uh, in New Jersey but work in New York City during the day, 
uh, they cannot get reciprocity with New York's medicinal marijuana program if they are registered in New Jersey. That just doesn't make sense. And so for other states that have a medicinal marijuana program, they offer reciprocity among other states that have similar type licensed programs. So that's something that I think also New York needs to modernize its medicinal marijuana program with is reciprocity between states, especially because we know that we have a lot of commuters into New York State, as well as the removal of this excise tax. So if we were to remove the 7% excise tax, what do you anticipate would be the benefit of that? I think we would look more like Florida, where you have a much larger patient base. Again, But they don't have recreational marijuana in Florida. They do not. They do not. But I do think that there are better access, better opportunities for patients who do want a medicinal treatment option or who have been prescribed a medical treatment option to be able to access their their prescribed uh Product. And so I, I think that's what we're really kind of going towards is recognizing that this is a very different experience. We, we don't want people to, and again, this is really for adults, we don't want people to say, well, the medical program's not working for me, so I'm just going to go purchase my own product in a legal dispensary, right? Because it's a different experience, it's a different treatment regimen, uh, it's a different interaction that the customer, or in this case, the patient, is going to have with the clerk or the provider. So we want them to have a medicinal experience. We want them to make sure that what they have been prescribed by their healthcare provider is actually addressing a healthcare need and that they're getting that attention in an appropriate way. So we don't want to lose the medical market as more adult use recreational dispensaries come online. So eliminating the excise tax could potentially encourage more people to purchase through the medical marijuana marketplace, but it also means the state is going to lose some revenue. So why not just put on some sort of additional fee on these registered organizations, these medical marijuana companies, to make up the the lost revenue since they are now allowed to operate in the recreational marijuana space. So they've got additional revenue coming in or or will have additional revenue coming in. So is there a merit to uh, recapping the excise tax in, in some other form if we were to eliminate it? Could be. I do think that you're hitting upon the biggest barrier to why this uh, excise tax has not been removed in previous budget cycles or in previous sessions is because of the potential or the loss to local municipalities um, who are able to receive some financial benefit from the sale of, of medicinal marijuana products. But you know what, that if you look at the numbers behind it, it's not that much. I mean, we're really talking about tens of thousands of dollars. We're not talking about millions and millions of dollars that would go to a, a municipality. The, t- the type of millions of dollars that are going to go in the adult use recreational market. So I think w- what we're seeing as the cannabis market evolves in New York State, both medicinal and recreational, because the recreational licenses uh, are now going out I mean, not as fast as we want them to go out, but they're going out. We're going to see more revenue come to that 4% that's going to stay in the local municipality, 3% to the local municipality, 1% to the county in which uh, retail sales were made. That's going to do more than enough to make up for any loss of potential uh, revenue from the medicinal side product that they're not going to have if my proposal goes forward to remove the excise tax. Well, before we move on, let me reintroduce you for listeners just joining us. We're speaking with State Senator Jeremy Cooney, a Rochester area Democrat who chairs his chamber's subcommittee on cannabis. So as I mentioned earlier, the medical marijuana companies are getting into that recreational space. And as we've talked about, the recreational space is seen as the real 
goose that's laying golden eggs or golden edibles or whatever. <laughs> so how do you ensure that these medical marijuana companies stay focused on those medical patients as they expand into the more lucrative recreational space? Well, this is really their expertise. Um, behind every medical marijuana provider, ROs as they're known in the industry, um, they have a whole set of standards. They have trained experts. Uh, they have a pharmaceutical background. They have a different experience when you walk into one of these uh, medicinal marijuana pharmacies. Um, so overall, their whole business model is different uh, than the recreational space. Now, you're right. ROs are going to have the ability to transition, some already have, into the adult use space. But again, we're really talking about two different business lines. Uh, one is focused on a patient setting and uh, understanding a diagnosis and then a medically prescribed treatment option. The other is, again, the sale of a product uh, for recreational enjoyment for adults. So very different experiences. Again, I don't want to see them blended into one. I do want to see two different types of settings so that patients are getting the help that they need. And you know, I've underscored this over the last couple of years. If we're really going to have a serious conversation about addressing the opioid epidemic, we know the Department of Health study shows that uh, a prescription related to medicinal marijuana is a far better treatment option than some of the addictive qualities of prescribed opioids, especially for uh, student athletes and others. So if we want to avoid and break this cycle of young people especially getting addicted to these uh, opioids, uh, let's look at medicinal marijuana seriously. Let's increase medical education for healthcare providers so that they know that there is an alternative for pain management. But as medical marijuana companies move into the retail space, what incentive is there for them to really go after those potential medical patients or really even provide the best high quality experience for those medical patients? An argument can be made that they don't have an incentive to keep their medicinal shelves stocked with, with all the good products that they might want uh, because the recreational side of things is so much more lucrative. Well, I think, you know, this is an untapped market. Again, I know we made the comparison earlier in your show to Florida, which does not have a recreational program, but we're talking about 700,000 plus patients in the state of Florida. There's a lot of opportunity for, again, a treatment option on the medical side for people and customers and patients who are not interested in having any sort of recreational experience. Maybe they're coming to medicinal marijuana almost reluctantly, uh, but this is, this is something that they're willing to try. They're not going to be walking into uh, a licensed uh, legal retail dispensary. Uh, so, you know, again, there, there could be an additional marketplace here to create that incentive that you're asking about. But again, I think this is really the expertise of the registered organizations of the medicinal marijuana companies who started off this business and have obviously found it to be successful in other states. So when medical marijuana was first launched in New York, it was for very severe conditions. I remember a young girl with epilepsy mm -hmm. coming to the Capitol. Uh, since then, though, they've lowered the conditions that qualify. And I think informally, people use marijuana, who do use it, to, say, help them sleep or address their anxiety. And they do so on the recreational side, sort of self-diagnosing their conditions. Do you want those people to go through the medical space, or are you comfortable with them operating on the recreational side to, to meet what they see as their medical needs? 
Well, again, I think it's a, a different experience when you walk into a medicinal pharmacy than you, when you walk into a retail dispensary. I want people who have questions, who are looking for opportunities, whether it is anxiety or sleep disorders, to be able to ask a professional and have that conversation, especially if they're having that conversation with their healthcare provider. Um, ultimately, that's really where those conversations belong in the doctor's office uh, versus you know, just having a conversation with your friend or a casual conversation with a, a store clerk. We want these to be in the medical office, getting a prescription written, and then having that prescription filled and validated by a trained pharmacist. I think that's a very different experience for a perhaps new consumer to cannabis um, than someone who is, as you said, self-diagnosing and then making a business decision. But is that the hurdle, though, the fact that you're going to actually have to see a healthcare practitioner, either in their office, or maybe you can make a Zoom interview to actually get that diagnosis, as opposed to someone who just says, yeah, I'll just swing by the recreational shop, and the person there will be like, hey, yeah, man, this really helped me fall asleep, or my girlfriend, uh, this really makes her calm, and we can go to concerts together now. Uh, How do you actually get people into that uh, healthcare setting. Well, you're opening the door to a much larger conversation about healthcare access right. in New York State. And I and you know that I believe that healthcare is a right and that we want to make sure that people do have those relationships and can see their uh, primary care physician or whomever is treating them uh, to get to, to have those conversations. I don't think we make it easy enough for people to get in and see their, their primary care physician or their pediatrician or whomever is going to be making this uh, prescription. Uh, I come from a healthcare family and so, you know, I know this is a, a constant struggle. Uh, But ultimately, at the end of the day, as people are thinking about their own health needs, we want there to be a healthcare provider. We want there to be a trained expert in the medicinal pharmacy side for medicinal marijuana to be able to address whatever need that they're going through. Well, finally, coming back to the idea of taxes more broadly in the cannabis space, the governor is looking to end uh, New York's very unique potency tax on recreational products and advancing legislation to that effect in her budget proposal. Do you support that effort as it's drafted? I do, and I want to thank the governor for uh, putting that on the table in this budget negotiation. As you may be aware, we've carried legislation that would remove the potency tax for a number of years now. Uh, But because the governor has expressed her interest in having this conversation, I think we are much more optimistic about our ability to incorporate the removal of the potency tax in this year's budget. Uh, My legislation is a little bit different from the governor's in that it phases it in. Mm -hmm. So uh, it starts at 5% and then goes up to 9%. which is what the governor has proposed. We believe that we need to, as we target and combat these illicit stores that are all over our state, we need to be more price competitive. Uh, So we want to make sure that over starting at 5%, um, uh, we want to make sure that we get rid of the potency tax, put in a flat 5% tax, and then gradually work our way up to 9%, which is where the governor has proposed. So that will all play out in the budget negotiations, but the concept is the same. Let's get rid of the potency tax. Let's come up with a tax that consumers better understand and that better positions our legal cannabis dispensaries to be able to compete with the illicit market. And finally, if the state is going to open up uh, the recreational marijuana system in the budget, does it make sense to look at this holistically with this uh, opportunity and also consider things like uh, regulations dealing with uh, packaging and advertising and marketing and all of the myriad of complaints up and down the industry that people have, whether it's with the, the OCM or with the MRTA and, and elements of, of the law that maybe weren't perfect as it was originally crafted in 2021? 
Well, I can tell you, David, as the chair of the Cannabis Subcommittee and the State Senate side, um, there is a list that is very, very long that you're alluding to. Uh, my personal belief is that we should let budgets be budgets and do policy outside of the budget. Um, so whether we're talking about marketing changes or some of the governance changes that I've proposed, um, I do believe that there is space and time for that after the budget, uh, where I think that is it appropriate to have a conversation around cannabis in the budget is around the removal of the medical excise tax and the removal of the potency tax because of the fiscal implications. Well, we've been speaking with State Senator Jeremy Cooney. He is a Rochester area Democrat who chairs his chamber's subcommittee on cannabis. Senator, thanks for visiting us in the studio. Thanks for having me. Support for the Capitol Press Room is provided by New York State United Teachers, a statewide union of nearly 700,000 professionals in education and health care.